And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. This is Scott Dockerman and I mostly cover Iowa. Today I'm joined by our esteemed colleague, Matt Fortuna, a writer at The Athletic. He works and lives in Chicago and has a pulse on all things Big Ten related, as well as uh, a few miles east into Indiana. So, Matt, welcome back to The Big Football Show. It's great to see you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to... uh... Well, hopefully be talking a little bit of football. There's a little, a few other things going on um, in the college sports world as we will get to, but it, it does feel refreshing to talk about normal training camp and to like go to training camp. I went to Northwestern yesterday. I had not seen a football practice with my own two eyes since Notre Dame's one and only spring practice back in 2020. So um, it's a refreshing oh, time great. for all of us. Well, I'm thinking back, you know, a year ago at this time and uh, the uh, Big Ten shut it down and it was such a chaotic couple of days, I think. Um, you know, it seemed like they were getting ready to play. Everybody was starting to practice. And then next thing you knew uh, that there was a lot of momentum that it was going to go the other way. And there was some fighting going on among the presidents and then finally it shut down. So a year ago from today to, to, to see where it is, I'm, I'm thrilled. But what what's kind of your recollection of back then, maybe that weekend, that uh, that couple day period? Oh God, I didn't know we were going to be going down uh, uh, PTSD, but um, I think by that point, by the time of the announcement, you definitely saw it coming, reading the tea leaves with both the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And I think the MAC was first, if I recall correctly, um, maybe that Saturday. And I mean, I, I did not think there was going to be a football season. I mean, when two of the Power Five dominoes fall, you're waiting for that kind of swing vote. And the ACC felt like they were going to be that swing vote. I mean, they were going back and forth at that time from from everything I had gathered. Um, but it was definitely pointing that way. If for no other reason, then, I mean, I think most teams had opened camp and were getting memos saying, all right, you can't tackle, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I remember just talking to a couple of Big Ten coaches who were like, so what the hell are we supposed to do? Like, what, just tell us right now, are we going to have a season or not? Like, we can't live like this day to day with all these restrictions and with everything changing on the fly. And so um, didn't think there'd be a season for anyone. Definitely didn't think there'd be one for the Big Ten because they came out a week later saying this decision will not be revisited. And sure enough, a few weeks later, um, they they reverse course. So uh, it's hopefully something none of us will have to uh, relive again in ours or our children's lifetimes. But uh, again, I'm just you know, so grateful that we're going to get the chance to have like a normal full season without any of well, most of that drama uh, week to week, uh, month to month about what's going to happen. I'm just looking forward to seeing full stadiums again, tailgating lots again and 
all the stuff that we love about this beautiful sport, this beautiful, messy sport, um, as we'll get to here. Oh, yeah, here. for sure. And it's it's like jello. There's no it's free flowing. It goes everywhere. Sometimes it gets chilled and it's and it's in a form of its own and then it warms up again and it goes all over the place. And that's what's the beauty of college football. And, yeah, we don't have to revisit every single step from, uh, you know, August 11th through September 16th and beyond because, yeah, it is PTSD. It is, uh, it was so uncertain and it was just, uh, I hated almost every day of it. And then it got very chaotic and mean spirited. And, and, uh, and in my area, it was, they were certainly more in favor of playing. And, uh, so I'm glad it's in the past and we're looking forward. We've got practices underway. I'm glad you got to go see Northwestern and, um, I'll get to see Iowa this weekend. Um, you know, we got a game in two and a half weeks in the Big Ten in Nebraska, Illinois, and I think that's going to be a that's one of the most hotly contested or to me anticipated mm-hmm. games that I can remember to, right out of the gate um, because there's so many good storylines with this game. I mean, Nebraska, if they fall on their face, it's bad news. New AD Scott Frost, um, but then you know Brett at Illinois and how he convinced 15 super seniors to stay was just impressive mm-hmm. um so i uh, you know it's too bad it's not in dublin and i'm sure mitch, mitch <laughs> sherman's unfortunately not able to go to dublin he's going to champagne is fine yeah. don't you worry <laughs> schlitz illinois no i'm kidding <laughs> champagne's <laughs> good but uh you know i guess what what was the vibe you got from northwestern practice and then also downstage at uh the the university of illinois yeah i uh Northwestern is interesting because I think there's this national narrative out there, and I'm not exactly rebutting it, but there there's a narrative out there that says, hey, they just won their second Big Ten West title in the last three years. They're losing most, if not all, of their production, at least the known commodities. Peyton Ramsey, a quarterback, most of that record-breaking linebacking core. Um, you know, what what are what are they going to look like? Are they going to go back to being, well, I wouldn't say three and nine, but a team that's not exactly a threat to win the division and just watching them play. And again, this is the untrained eye seeing one practice, the sixth practice of the year or of, of the camp out of context. Um, they're definitely younger and more athletic. And that's the vibe I get from talking to people around the program as well is, Hey, sleep on us all you want. Um, we like being the underdog here. Uh, but we've been able to recruit a different caliber of athlete to Northwestern, given our recent success, given the investments that we've made in recent years to our facilities, given how we've been able to show the football world that we take football seriously here. It's not an afterthought the way you may have um, thought it was by checking out where we used to house our locker room in our weight room uh, three or four years ago. So uh, they are younger. They are more athletic. I think there is a lot of optimism within that building of, hey, you know, Talent for talent, this could be as good of a team as we've ever had. We just don't know who's going to step up when the lights click on because we've never been this young before and we're so used to having old guys who we knew what we were going to get out of. And again, a lot of that comes back to the quarterback position as well. I mean, it's really a a three-man battle right now between uh, Ryan Holinsky from South Carolina, Hunter Johnson from Clemson, um, and Andrew Marty, the fifth-year senior who uh, came out in relief in 2019 as kind of a last resort. I'd be surprised if Ryan Holinsky's not the starter. I mean, I don't think you recruit uh, a guy of that caliber to, to sit on the bench, but he's young. And you know what? The same thing happened to Hunter Johnson, who was also a, a highly recruited guy out of high school and could never quite get it to click. And maybe he will this year in his, his final year at the program. So um, 
we'll see what happens. I mean, last year, going into last year, coming off a 3-9 and nine season, there was a sense around that program of, hey, if we get the quarterback position right, we'll be just fine. And I thought that was oversimplify- oversimplifying matters because the quarterback position alone wasn't responsible for a 9-loss season. But sure enough, Peyton Ramsey comes in and I would say was very good. Not great, but very good. Steady, solid, provided veteran leadership. And sure enough, they finish as a 10th-ranked team in the country with a Big Ten West title in the bowl win. It was an interesting team to watch because I, I, you know, obviously follow Northwestern half for a long time. And every year they get overlooked. And then the years they get overlooked, then they seemingly overachieve. And, and uh, I would say last year was not overachieving as much as, you know, kind of a bounce back. I think everybody expected them to bounce back. Three and nine is not an end. Is it's not the '80s mm-hmm. with them anymore, or the early '90s. I mean, they are a, a quality program. And, and if anybody doesn't believe that, just watch, look at their results. When they play Wisconsin at home, they generally win. When they play Iowa, they generally win. And same thing with Michigan State. <laughs> so the teams that are kind of in their uh, ballpark, Nebraska too. I mean, they, they compete and win a lot of those games. So that's not really a uh, that, that's not a program you can over. Overlook now, uh, you know they they've been fortunate at times, um, and I think that's true. But they've got you know they've got one of the best coaches in the country in, in Pat Fitzgerald. They have a great system. Replacing Mike Hankowitz on defense, I, I'm anxious to see how that comes together. They did you know last year. I thought what helped them as much as anything was some of the offensive tweaks because they were just so stale mm-hmm. the last couple of years, in particular 2019 when they had no quarterback. It was like, oh, guys, you're better than this. Your defense is better than this. You're, you're really letting them mm-hmm. go. And um, But now I think they've, uh, they've gotten to the point where nobody should ever overlook them. Maybe they're not the favorite, um, the Big Ten favorite, but I, I look at them as they're not going to go to the dog. They're not going to be seventh in the, in the conference this year. They just – that – 2019 was the outlier, not 2020. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you know, a lot of our, our colleagues in the media with Northwestern diplomas will tell you they needed a season like 2019 to kind of force them to make the changes they did on offense. They become, even in 2018, as good as Clayton Thorson was and as good as that team was in winning nine games of the Big Ten West Division title, um, they were a very stale, unimaginative offense. And, you know, it's not easy um, – really at any place, but particularly at a place like Northwestern where, where Pat Fitzgerald is so loyal to his assistants and they're so loyal to him to fire a friend of his in Mick McCall, their offensive coordinator. But I think, you know, with all due respect to Coach McCall, who coached a, a Heisman finalist last year and still lost his job at Iowa State as a running backs coach, coaching Brees Hall, um, that there was no other option. You had to make a change. And even without really any spring to, to get his hands on these guys, Mike Bajakian, who came over from Boston College, I think, Made a big difference. Obviously, Peyton Ramsey played a big part in that. But you know, I'm looking to see, looking forward to seeing that offense and that defense taking the next step with a first full off season and full season afterward with two new coordinators. Um, Jim O'Neill, you reference, replaces the legendary Mike Hankwitz, who uh, spent over 50 years in coaching and um, had so many impressive defenses the last few years at Northwestern. Um, it's going to be more different than more of the same, I think, with, with, with Jim O'Neill there. Now, um, he has coached or worked with a lot of those guys in the past, having been a, a GA at Northwestern uh, about 15 years ago or so. Um, he comes from the NFL, where I think you're starting to see a lot more similarities uh, to the way defenses and the overall game is being played between college and the pro level. Um, and I think, you know, 
nothing against Mike Hankwitz, but the guy's younger. He speaks the player's language a little bit more. Mike Hankwitz was one of a kind, and I mean that uh, in the best way possible. But even Pat Fitzgerald, his first spring press conference, he gets asked what's different about the defense, and he starts imitating Mike Hankwitz's voice and saying, well, we don't have that here anymore. And that was very distinct um, and original and different. So um, it, things are going to be different, as different as probably they've been um, in Evanston. But um, I, I agree with you. 3-9 was the outlier. I, I would not put them as the Big Ten West favorite, but I don't think you can count them out. I mean, um, they win most of their close games. And in this division, there are a lot of close games. And um, when you've got that going for you, you're going to have a chance most years. Yeah, I mean, I was probably most impressed with them last year. Uh, the game I saw them up close in person, they were down 17 to nothing mm-hmm. in the second quarter. And uh, now if there was a full stadium, that might not have been, they might not have been able to make that happen. But they did. And obviously mm-hmm. you can't take anything away from them. And they did it with kind of a pedestrian offense, but an efficient but pedestrian offense, a very, very good defense. And my, my question for them is having Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher, who I think was one of the most overlooked players I've seen in recent times, mm-hmm. just because Patty Fisher was next to him, everybody kind of overlooked Gallagher. And I'm like, man, this guy's great. Um, Greg Newsom, of course, you know, they lose their, their leading uh, pass rusher to, I think he went to Arizona, if I recall. But Brandon Joseph's back, of course, and they have maybe the best tackle in the Big Ten, possibly in the country, and Peter Skronsky on offense. Um, I, I think the, this team's going to be a problem, as always. It's it's are they going to be a seven and five problem or a ten and two problem? I you know we'll we'll know that answer later on. But you know Northwestern's not a team you can just walk in and go okay, well you know they're as the as the nickname around here was quite a while ago now, lowercase J. Capital NW, just Northwestern. That does not fly anymore. So. <laughs> Wouldn't even give them the NU respect. Wow. Uh, Bob, that defensive line is really okay. deep. Really deep. I mean, Sam Duke Miller, a couple of these guys, I mean, did not right. play last year. And, you know, there were guys who basically went home after they either opted out or were hurt because it was COVID and it just didn't do them any good to stay around. So I think that defense line and that secondary are both very, very deep and it will give the linebackers a little bit of cover and growing space to, to, to replace all the production that went out the door last year. Well, the biggest story doesn't really revolve on the field, unfortunately, these days. Uh, <laughs> and it's still kind of residue from what happened in, in mid-July. Uh, and I don't think – I think that's the biggest story in college football this year and maybe beyond uh, other than COVID, of course. And that includes, you know, we started off in media day season going – all right, we've got NIL we're going to ask about, the, the playoff and expansion. What are these teams going to do? Um, and even, you know, we, we talked, what, about a month and a half ago or so about college football expansion and what the Big Ten needs to do um, and to make itself more marketable well into the future. Then the bomb, you know, Texas and Oklahoma kind of shocked everybody, certainly shocked Bob Bowlesby um, and the rest of America in the sport by – seeking refuge in the SEC, and now they're going to be a member as as the latest as 2025. I would be surprised if it goes that long. But, you know, uh, you wrote a compelling piece today in The Athletic, and it's about the guy in, in the room, and everybody wonders <laughs> what he would do, and that's Jim Delaney. And now he's kind of an unofficial consultant for multiple leagues and, you know, kind of has his own business in Nashville. And... Uh, so what did you gather from this and, and where did you kind of start to hear things about Jim Delaney and, and how instrumental is he right now in kind of the discussion surrounding uh, realignment and the next steps for multiple conferences? 
Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to someone, uh, an athletic director, know, a week or two ago, and he kindly casually mentioned, I'm pretty sure Delaney's talking to, to everybody. He says, don't quote me on this, do your homework, but you know, I think he's still very involved. And It made sense. I mean, you, took, you talk about the godfather of modern realignment. I mean, it's Jim Delaney. I mean, he started the Big Ten Network. He, he grabbed Penn State as an independent. He grabbed Rutgers in Maryland. He grabbed Nebraska. Like, the Big Ten is what started the wave a decade ago of realignment and we're still in some ways feeling the effects of that in college football today so um call, making some calls around um it was very apparent to me that he was he was talking a lot with at the very least jim phillips of the acc which should not come as a surprise i mean they were yeah. very close when jim phillips was uh northwestern's athletic director and, and jim delaney was the big 10 commissioner and um i learned that he was talking to george klavkov the new pac-12 commissioner as well which I wouldn't say it was a surprise um, just because Jim Delaney is officially the consultant with the Rose Bowl. The Big Ten and Pac-12 have always had their kind of alliance through the Rose Bowl. Like, it doesn't surprise me that those um, that they're, they're they're crossing paths, so to speak. But George Klavkov is new to this. He's the newest of the Power Five commissioners. So that was enlightening me to as well. I mean, I'm, I don't know this, but I would not be surprised if he's talking to many more conferences, even some non-power conferences as well. Uh, but those two, in addition to his contract status as a consultant with the Big Ten, were the only ones I was able to nail down. But but it was interesting to me because the more and more calls I made on this, uh, the more and more people were, hmm, that's interesting. You know, I talked to a group of five ADs like, well, who's who's going to get screwed here, right? I mean, if they're all going to the same resource um, at some point, like someone's not going to get a bang for their buck or, or non-buck. I, I, as far as I know, two of these conferences are not paying him in any official capacity. But uh, as it was explained to me by someone who knows him, he goes, come on, Matt, he's 73 years old. You think he's going to sit on the sideline and watch this happen without him? I mean, he knows more than, than probably maybe outside of Greg Sankey uh, right now. He knows more than the, the rest of the conference commissioners do about how this works and what could work and what would be a future next step. And that's been the real fascinating part to me and I think to others right now is normally the Big Ten's front and center in all of this. And when you look at the current landscape in light of the SEC's moves to add Texas and Oklahoma, you don't think the Big Ten needs to do anything. Like financially, they're going to be fine. But they also have a bit of a wild card, for lack of a better term, in Kevin Warren as a commissioner. And I say that because he came from the NFL side and this is all new to him. And because Kevin Warren replaced Jim Delaney, who, again, like would have been the one probably poaching Texas to Oklahoma first, yeah. right, in this scenario. Like, I don't think Greg Sankey is as bold as he is um, if this was five years ago and he was not the, the kind of godfather authority in the room that he is now among the rest of the conference commissioners because there's been so much turnover in such a short amount of time. So um, it, it makes sense that Jim Delaney's expertise is being tapped into. Um I'll be curious. I haven't heard too much reaction yet other than, hmm, that's eye-opening. But, you know, I've talked to a couple of ADs who are like, yeah, I wonder what the presidents of our league will think if, hey, we're talking to this guy and he's talking to those guys. What are we really getting out of this? Like, who's watching who's back here? Because as much of a kind of united front the the other four power conferences have put on in light of what Greg Sakey did to Bob Bowlesby, at the end of the day, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and everyone has to look out for their own. And having the the straw that stirs the drink, for lack of a better term, um, talking to multiple conferences during this makes for fascinating theater, in my opinion. Well, absolutely. I mean, going all the way back to 2009, 
when uh, the, the, the press release came out and said, mm-hmm. uh, we are now active. The, the tectonic plates are moving and all the, all the <laughs> Delaneyisms regarding this, that, that it's a front burner topic. That changed the whole complexion of college athletics because the other moves that had happened in the early part of the decade were kind of Big East versus ACC. They were bound to happen because there wasn't a real tradition with, uh, you know, Miami was independent, Boston College, Syracuse, mm-hmm. Virginia Tech, all those schools, you know, even, you know, were independent before before they became Big East members and then beyond. Uh, but when that happened, then it was like, I, you look at first, like Missouri and Nebraska, and I thought, they, they don't realize how, they didn't ever realize how <coughs> miserable they were until they had an option to leave. And then that's what Nebraska fans might push back on that right now, but financially you're right. right. (laughs) Well, it was just like, well, there's no way out. So we might as well just, you know, plug our nose and yeah, we hate Texas, but we'll move on. But now it's like, Oh, we have an option to leave. And so that therefore it became an issue. And then of course we all remember, I think it was Gordon Gee, you know, emailing with uh, the Texas uh, was Bill Powers, I think at the time, you know, I have a Mm -hmm. tech problem when, when the big 10 wanted to, had, had interest there, and then they grabbed Nebraska. Then a couple years later, uh, you know, the ACC tried to go after Penn State. And uh, mm-hmm. and then, voila, well, Jim Delaney said, okay, you want to try to take one of our members, we're going to go after one of your charter members, and went after, you know, Maryland and made a sweetheart of a, of a, of a proposal to Maryland, and they still owe the Big Ten $120 million now, so... <laughs> Um, so all of this is, you know, the Big Ten is, it's just fascinating to watch because there's always been a response under Delaney. And even if that means, mm-hmm. even if nothing happens, it's like, we'll be fine. We're the Big Ten. You know, he had a swagger to him. He was, the, you know, you use Godfather references. I, I just look, I just imagine him, especially with the picture with your story, is he's kind of like Marlon Brando having, <laughs> having a cat on his lap and kind of putting the cat on the floor. All right, let me, you know, talk. And, whereas Greg Sankey kind of is like Salazzo. So I'm waiting for, you know, Clemenza, Alvarez to kind of walk, walk in. All these great references. But, uh, but with Delaney, he's, I mean, he is, he's always been the smartest guy in the room. He has made mistakes. We all can agree to that too. But he knows the, the landscape better than anybody else, maybe anybody else who's ever done it. And I just wonder, how is this all going to work? How is he going to set this up? Who's, who's going to benefit? And then, of course, out of the Big Ten, how does the Big Ten make that step? Because Kevin Warren is, is such a wild card because he's never done it before. And he was you know, probably too vague, frankly, in Indianapolis and trying to gauge what the next move might be. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? 
this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because, I mean, look what's out there right now. I mean, with all due respect to the, the irate eight, as they've been known, the remaining eight Big 12 schools, individually, none of them, and frankly, as a pair, I don't think any of them really bring a whole lot to uh, at least the Big 10 or Pac-12 from, from fit standpoints and from the ACC standpoint, they're, they're not going to make them whole financially, which is what the ACC really needs to, to, to be after right now. I mean, Notre Dame, obviously, is the elephant in the room, and doesn't sound like they're they're uh, they have any current interest in changing their arrangements, which especially right now, I think this is when you really value your independence, right? I mean, you can make a case that every single power school in a conference right now has some level of anxiety about what's going to happen next, and Notre Dame really doesn't right. <laughs> um, because of the, their situation right now. So they're in a pretty good spot as is. Uh, but I mean, what it, Clemson, Florida State are popular names. I keep getting thrown out. Well, you know, they're they're two big schools and in the ACC and you know they're not happy with the revenue gap between the SEC and this and that I get it that's all true all due respect Florida State I don't know anyone who wants Florida State right now right. I mean I, I just think institutionally and with what they put on the field they're not an attractive option and Clemson I, I wrote this today there's a reason Dabo Sweeney still says little old Clemson and it was funny because he said that in passing at ACC media days um, the day after the story had initially broke about SEC expansion and he was talking about you know just recruiting and this and that he said yo we're a little Clemson and finally a reporter called him out on that said dad well come on you've won two national titles you got the best recruiting class in the country every year like what do you mean little Clemson and with a straight face he's like look at our alumni base look at this look at the size of our campus and you know inadvertently he was probably like not doing a great sales job of Clemson um, in the realignment wave but everything he says true I mean them in Virginia are, you know depending on how you look yeah. at the math the smallest public schools in the ACC every single year. I mean, the, the academic and obviously athletic profile of Clemson has grown exponentially in the last decade or so. I mean, that's a top 25 public institution by by most respected rankings. Football, we all know what they're about. Um, but like, they just don't have the size or, or the bandwidth or the reach that, in my opinion, would make them attractive to the Big Ten. Obviously, competitively, they'd be great. But if I'm the Big Ten, I mean... North Carolina is the one I'm, I'm eyeing in the ACC, and maybe you pair them with a Georgia Tech or someone brought up Miami to me. I don't know if I see that. Um, I, I get the geographically why you'd want to go down there and as a private institution with a, a great academic reputation. I get that, but North Carolina and someone else, if the Big Ten were to look that way, would be the ones I, I, I think would be most interested in. And look, we heard those rumors too when Jim Delaney right. w- was in charge back in, I think, 2012 or 2013. there I mean, I think there was a theory out there, and you probably know this better than I do, but they thought Maryland and, and Penn, or excuse me, Maryland and Rutgers were the first of the next step, which would get them a stronger foothold on the I-95 yeah. corridor, which would include the additions of North Carolina, Jim Delaney's alma mater, and Georgia Tech, which obviously never yeah, happened. And I thought Virginia um, was part but, of that too, so. But, but yeah, yeah, no, you could be right. Yeah, I mean, but those are... Due respect to Clemson, Florida State, I just don't. I mean, maybe the SEC, maybe, 
not that they need to make a move right now, but I, I just don't know what's in it. For yeah, them. yeah, I agree. I mean, and, and that's really what you look at when we're, when we're evaluating the Big Ten itself. I mean, out of the, the four other conferences, I mean, there's got to be there is desperation on the Big 12's part, you know, as much as they try to say, oh, we've got time. We got time. No, they don't. I mean, they, they've got to no. they've got to figure out what's the next step fairly soon. If you're one of the irate eight. Um, oh, yeah. Collect that money, as some you know, TV executive said to me. Like as bad as yeah. it is right now, and I know y'all need to find a light wrap. You stick. To, you're gonna get so yeah. much money in the next couple of years between exit fees and negotiations. Like, don't screw yeah. that up for yourselves before you end up landing somewhere else. Like that. That's important. Exactly. And and then you look at well, what what would be attractive out of that group to to a, a Big Ten? And and there are only two AAU institutions. I know that's not the only thing the Big Ten looks at, mm-hmm. but it is an important part of it. And Kansas and, and Iowa State, I, I, I say it, and I say it in kind of nice fashion that I think there would be resistance to Iowa State from the school I cover uh, joining the league. Uh, the Board of Regents does not get involved in conference affiliation here. So I, there would not be, a, they would not have a welcoming mat. You know, hey, come on in. Then there's and for the Big Ten itself, what does Iowa State bring? You've already got this state secured with the flagship institution. Plus, if you're Minnesota mm-hmm. and Nebraska, there's really nothing. Uh, you wouldn't really want them there because it is, you know, you're you're, you're jostling for a lot of different things in that part of the world. Um, Kansas, okay, sure, basketball, but this has never been about basketball. No, nope. nobody. I mean, anybody brings that up, it's like, look, look at the revenue difference. It's ten times different between bas- a good basketball program and a football program. It's not even in the same stratosphere. So Kansas basketball, sure, play them. But what does that mean? What does that do for you? You know, if Kansas comes to Illinois or Iowa for basketball, well, they're still going to have eighty percent of the people there anyway. Maybe a few more come. Who cares? Football's where it's at. And then the other schools. You know, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, what do they bring? What is a Texas Tech or an Oklahoma State? Uh, Texas and Oklahoma, sure, but those two, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then you look, to me, the only thing that kind of makes sense, but it's complicated, would be the Pac-12, because there are nine out of the 12 schools are AAU institutions. Um, you have, you know, you know, close, long-standing relationship, but with a lot of these schools, Washington and Oregon have a lot of potential, USC, of course, um, the San Francisco area schools, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of fit there other than just geography, but that's a lot of distance to travel and what's kind of the interest level on their part and the league and, and all of that. So I think it's a complicated issue and maybe there's something out there that we're not thinking of. Maybe it's a not just a whole scale, hey, we're going to take six schools from the Pac-12 and they're going to become the Big Ten, but maybe it's more of a, hey, let's, uh, let's work together on some things. Um, not necessarily merge, but just hey, the Pac-12 network could use some BTN, um, sh- you know, shining a little bit. Hey, help us with this. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think that's probably more likely than just hey, USC and UCLA come join the Big Ten. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned Kansas too because I I don't mean to make light of this, but you know that one of the Fridays either right after or a week after all the the realignment uh, news had started up again. Bill Self tweets that I'm vaccinated and I tested positive for COVID. And like, I don't know, I've not heard, I, I saw it cause I saw it on Twitter. I've not heard one person even bring that up. Like a, a hall of fame national championship winning coach who's active tweets that he has COVID. Like 
yeah, I mean, Anthony Rizzo got COVID. It's a huge deal. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to go like off the rails here, but like, right. just to show you how little people care about basketball during a time like this. I mean, it's just, it, 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 it's comical in some ways. I mean, I, I got a kick out of, I'm sure you did too, Kansas Athletics tweet, um, kind of pitching themselves just in general. It was a billboard. I'll, I'll read it here. Uh, the tweet said, home away from home with a, an emoji with sunglasses on it. Lawrence by Kansas City. And the graphic says, Lawrence of Kansas City, extremely fast-growing area with over 2.5 million people living and working in the Lawrence Casey area. And there's a bunch of other stuff, including a, a big bold letter saying, new airport terminal coming in 2023. I mean, uh, these people are really putting themselves out there, and I understand it. And I, I wrote this earlier, and I'll say it again. Now, talking to people who were involved with the athletic director search for Kansas that ultimately netted them Travis Scott from Northwestern, um, one of the talking points in those interviews that came up often my understanding was what are your plans for conference realignment because we think the status quo ain't it and this was before news broke of texas and oklahoma leaving the big 12 so um, people knew that they had to position themselves now there's only so much you can do um from a number standpoint when when you're a school like kansas compared to say a school like texas or oklahoma um but but there was definitely a sense of anxiety at least publicly as recently as the spring and we understand why now with this recent news as far as the big 10 and pac 12 they're interesting cases because they've always kind of been in this together right i mean we mentioned at the top of the show they went conference only basically together they canceled their seasons together um you know they have that rose bowl alliance which is now being further fortified by jim delaney Uh, they've always been together and they both have two new commissioners who are not from the the traditional college sports path. So uh, you wonder what's going to happen next. They both have media rights deals coming up in the next couple of years. Obviously, the Big Ten's in better financial position than the Pac-12 is, but if you're the Pac-12, you're looking at this as an opportunity because you're barely above the ACC right now, and if you play your cards right, maybe you can position yourselves to be much higher than the ACC, which would then make the ACC even more vulnerable to being poached than they are right now. Um, you know, someone, I put this in the story, someone had basically, you know, in real time, put this thought experiment to me and helped me draw my own, own conclusions, which was correct, which was, okay, let's, let's do this all over again. The SEC looked around and saw uh, a conference that had media rights uh, negotiations coming up in the next three or four years, two blue bloods with very advantageous uh, recruiting geography and alumni bases. Because look around the country, and where do you see that? And I wasn't looking at the Big Ten because Big Ten, I don't think anyone's leaving. And I said, USC and UCLA. And he said, yep. He goes, if the ACC, you got to at least try to make something happen there. I don't know if that's yeah. realistic. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know how that would you know, even play itself out as far as Olympic sports and the travel that would go from Los Angeles to Miami and, and North Carolina and all those other schools on the East Coast. I don't know. But, you know. That's the way that some people are thinking about this. It's clearly the way Craig Sankey thought about this, which is why he's right now the smartest man in the room, at least among uh, the active commissioners, and why he's, he just got richer uh, on top of what was already a very rich deal with ESPN. So um, it's going to take some creative outside-the-box thinking. Um, it makes sense why all these guys are tapping into Jim Delaney's expertise. I just don't know how that will um, rear itself. I mean, Greg Sankey has probably been as public as anyone in his kind of anti-NCA stance recently. And we've heard Mark Emmert, the NCA commissioner, um, come out, president, I should say, come out and say, um, 
you know, maybe we're a little out of our jurisdiction here. Maybe, you know, the NCAA needs to be a little more hands-off with some of the day-to-day because this thing has gotten so big that we can't really control it. And everyone has their own theories and scenarios of, hey, it's going to be Power 5 only. They're going to break off and do their own thing. I'm not saying that won't happen. I think that's a lot easier said than done, especially when you take into account uh, basketball tournament and you know Olympic sports and everything else that, that, that comes into uh, comes into play there. But you know, talking to people in the ACC, one thing they said that Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, stressed on their calls recently is, "Hey, let's not be intimidated by a 16-team SEC. That's one conference. If the rest of the four of us stick together, that's 50-something schools, and we have a whole lot more power as a united front." than the SEC does with 16, and we need to keep that in mind. And again, I think everyone's doing their due diligence. Kansas, obviously, is making themselves known that they are available uh, and single and looking for partners uh, that are willing to take them. But you know, how does all this rear its head? I don't know. I mean, Greg Sankey was probably the most vocal last year um, against Kevin Warren for not sticking together, for lack of a better term, and going conference only uh, and going in alone, so to speak, for the Big Ten. And sure enough, he's the one who backstabbed Bob Bowlesby after working in close quarters with him for the last 30 months on college football playoff expansion. So uh, it's it's every man for himself at the end of the day, no matter what they say to each other and what they say in public. And that's, again, to me, I, I'm as excited for the season to come as anyone else, but I, I frankly can't get enough of the drama of this because it, it, it could be a soap opera at this point. No question. No question. And and I think what's fascinating to me is this is where leadership is going to be critical because all of the leaders of the past um, are, you know, from the last big batch, you know, even Mike Slive and, of course, Delaney and Swafford and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Bowlesby's been there for a little while, but, um, you know, Dan Beebe and all those guys, I mean, they're gone. It's, it's now a new group. And Sankey clearly has the pulse and the power. Uh, of what his constituents want and how to position the SEC as the dominant ent- uh, entity in collegiate sports, even among the uh, you know Power Five, the Big Ten with Delaney was always at or above the SEC's level. Now it's a chance. What's the Big Ten going to do? What's the Big Ten going to do with uh, you know how can Kevin Warren balance it out? It might be nothing. It might status quo. We're in great shape. We're going to take our, you know, go to the market in two years and we're going to sign a deal. And we're going to also going to go to CBS too while we're at it and stream on Amazon. And we're going to make more money than everybody else combined. Um, and that might be fine, but I almost think there needs to be some sort of strong response. Hey, we're, you know, Jim, Jim was full of swagger. Jim would walk in the room. Everybody knew he was there and what he said mattered, even though, yes, at media day, sometimes it'd be a 20 minute filibuster and you're kind of <laughs> nodding off. And then you realize freshman just, ineligibility yeah. among others. <laughs> right. And then you're nodding off and you're going, Oh dang, he just talked about laundry money. And uh, that means uh, uh, the stipends, which of course was going to end the world. Right. You know, a few years ago, <laughs> but uh, you know, the ACC, you know, has, I think capable leadership, but, but Jim Phelps hasn't been in that role for a while. And, and I think most of us that have got to know Jim over the years, you certainly better than I, but I, I always had a high opinion of him. I thought he was going to do a good job and, and he's in there. But, but I think it's, it's fascinating to watch the chairs because the grant of rights for the ACC is the sticking point, but it's also the one that I think if a league was very persistent in, in telling, let's say it's the Big Ten and saying, hey, North Carolina, hey, Clemson, Georgia Tech or 
Hey, even Notre Dame, you know, which is kind of stuck there in that thing. We want you. We're going to, we want to join you. We will fight your grant of rights. That is to me is probably that next fascinating discussion because that's a long time. That's 15 more years and they're already behind the times. How many of those teams, you know, Clemson and Florida State is uh, most vocal, but how many of those schools are going to say, yeah, we got to change something up here. Uh, we got to adapt this. And then if they, if that opens up simply by adding, say, West Virginia, and they that changes the grant of rights, does that free up everybody to say, okay, now we're adding them, we're done with this, and now we can start, you know, North Carolina going to the SEC. That would be a huge move for them. So I, I you know, I think this is, it's still so fascinating, as you said, even though, yes, I can't wait for football, this is a bigger deal. This has bigger ramifications. This is generational change, and and that's why I think it's uh, it's so intriguing. And and you know, one thing you, you wrote, and one quote I want to read and then have you kind of expand on it is, uh, one Power 5 AD said, I actually think it's hurry up and wait mode right now. I don't see anybody doing anything soon. You know, how do you characterize that? Where does that go from here, you think? Yeah, I think there's definitely two schools of thought um, based on everything we just said, right? I mean, we just spent 38 minutes exploring what the Big Ten could do, and we couldn't figure out, like, an ironclad solution if they even need a solution. And I think that's part of it because you have three new commissioners in these five seats. Um, what are they going to do? What can they do that will make their conference a, a richer home for their member institutions? And again, there's no obvious answer out there right now other than Notre Dame, which has no interest right now in joining a conference. So we're all freaking out because there's a sense of if I don't move, someone else will. And what's that going to mean for my people? Um, but that move also has to make sense. You can't just expand for the sake of expanding. SEC is not adding, you know, two group of five schools. They're adding Texas, which is probably the richest athletic department in the country, and Oklahoma, which is probably top 10 and obviously competitively is as good as almost any program in the country year after year. So um, th there's a very definitive reason why it's in the SEC's best interest to add those two schools. I don't know if you can make a clear argument for any other addition that could be possible that's out there right now. Again, the, the remaining eight Big 12 schools are the ones that are most readily available, but there's a reason their phones aren't ringing off the hooks right now. Like they're just, uh, Iowa State's probably the best football school among them right now, but Baylor, you know, has had their success recently, but like they're not going to do anything for anyone as far as reach and as far as making them richer. So uh, that's why, that's where I think the hurry up and wait kind of, uh, philosophy comes from everyone's freaking out we just don't know what we're freaking out about yet and what's going to happen then again i mean who really saw texas oklahoma right. coming right like i was in you know i said this on the acc show last week i thought i said to you i was with our colleagues at the athletic we were meeting with jim phillips on day one of acc media day we were in a meeting room and my phone kept vibrating and i checked it when i got out it was because news the houston chronicle story about this had broke and I'm thinking to myself, damn it, I would have loved to like read this news to Jim Phillips just to see his face in real time action, learn about this. Yeah. And we we're able to catch up a little bit afterward, but um, it would have just been fascinating to see to like be in the room where it happened, right? Um, it, it would have been pretty funny. Um, there is a sense out there. I remember speaking to uh, a very influential college football power broker when Jim Phillips got hired, and he said, "Look, 
the Big Ten could afford to hire Kevin Warren because they're in such great financial shape. The ACC couldn't afford to hire anyone but Jim Phillips, who was a guy that many people thought would become the Big Ten commissioner after being the Northwestern AD because he did such a great job there. There's As much as everyone else seems to be freaking out about the ACC right now because of the financials, talk to people in the league. There's a much stronger sense of calm just because they know they have a big, bold leader who has seen this before being at the Big Ten, who knows what the ACC needs to do and just now has to figure out how to get there. And I'm glad you brought up the grant of rights because that's something that I think all of us talk about every 10 years or so when realignment comes up, but we never really explored in depth. And I'm not sure the common fan even has reason to know what that means. And I talked to TV executive, I talked to people at the ACC uh, about one of the scenarios you mentioned, right? Like, hey, if the ACC adds a program, does everything start from a blank slate? Therefore, does, does the grant of rights open up? And does that give Clemson or North Carolina or whomever cover to get out without a penalty? And I talked to someone at the ACC who studied this very intently and said, look, I'm not a lawyer, but I have a hard time arguing that if we were to leave, we wouldn't have to pay anything for 15 years if, say, West Virginia or Notre Dame or whomever joined us. Like, uh, the way I interpret it is, you know, you agree to all pre-existing conference conditions and assimilate into that, and that's that. And the grant rights has never been challenged in open court. We talk about Maryland and Rutgers and, and now Texas and Oklahoma. All those schools are paying exit fees. They're not paying um, grant of rights fees. And when you have that grant of rights paid through 2036, or excuse me, signed through 2036 the way the ACC does, that's 15 years of media rights that you cannot surrender. And I know everyone likes to play lawyer, and I'm sure there's a lawyer out there who thinks they can argue that they can get out of it for the sake of their school. Is that a risk you're willing to take if you're a school? Because like, you're going to lose a lot of money that way. Like, yeah. that, that, that's that's what it is. I mean, you may know this better th- than I do. I couldn't find anything on it, although someone who was involved with it at the time told me to look into this. Apparently, Penn State's first three years of the Big Ten, the big they did not. Their home games were not Big Ten property. They're still, I think, CFA property is independent, and they did not, um, like, they, they were not, the Big Ten was not making any money off those Penn State home games, which is, I'd have to go back and do some digging to really look into the fine print of that one, but that's the only, like, example I can, like, point to where that came into play and obviously did not work out the way that the Big Ten probably would have hoped it would financially in those first three years. So uh, the, the same thing that makes one conference uh, vulnerable, the ACC's money is the same thing that makes um, makes them whole, right? They 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 have security. Like the, people look at the Pac-12 and say, well, their their media rights are up in the next couple of years, maybe they're vulnerable. They look at the ACC and say, well, their media rights aren't up for another few years, but they don't have as much money. Are they vulnerable? Um, it's all a matter of perspective right now, and you just don't know what the next domino is that's going to fall and what kind of after aftershocks those will have throughout the college sports landscape. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one, one kind of byproduct of uh, the Penn State situation was when the Big Ten instituted a, a ceiling and a floor to share uh, stadium revenue, thirty-five up to thirty-five percent or a one million dollar ceiling goes back to the to the office and then it recycles and then the floor is three hundred thousand or thirty-five percent. So Northwestern, Illinois, Indiana, Purdue, generally have and now Maryland and Rutgers make a lot of money off of. Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, uh, Ohio State, you know, so there's kind of this cycling out. They, they lose money every year, usually in the neighborhood of a, of a million to a million and a half dollars. And, and so Penn State was pretty bitter about that. And so they asked for the same thing in basketball. <laughs> so it, it just, as a it's Penn Stater, by the way, that really makes me laugh because like, that's, that's awesome. That's ironic. That it's uh, the ceiling is sixty-seven thousand dollars, and the bottom is twenty-five thousand dollars. So it shows you the financial differences, but it's true. And and uh, you know, I, I think the one thing that I would be modestly concerned about about the Big Ten, and not in two thousand twenty-one, but maybe in two thousand thirty-one, is that last year during COVID, the shutdown, new commissioner, we saw less. Unanimity, yeah. yeah, among the, among the schools. I mean, Nebraska has always kind of been a wild card because it had a, a true history, but Ohio State, Iowa to an extent, a few of the others. Were Illinois really, with basketball. I mean, Josh yeah. Whitman wrote a pretty scathing letter to to Kevin Warren when they yeah, did, exactly. when the regular season title. Exactly that there has been more sniping among the schools than ever before. Mm-hmm. Certainly under Delaney, because Delaney would uh, call somebody up. Um, and they would, uh, you know, they'd have to wipe their ear away. He would schedule and, Nebraska for an opener in Dublin. Every, well, I guess they were technically going to have yeah. one two years earlier. But he would schedule Nebraska open at Ohio State for 10 yeah. straight years or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we're going to repeat this cycle of Ohio State <laughs> Nebraska for the next six years. But, uh, you know, now it's, it's different. And, uh, you know, again, we can look ahead and, and things could be fine. But... Once things change, it's hard to put it all back together unless you have really strong leadership like a Delaney. And so my, my question for the Big Ten is that if things just continuously kind of separate and you have, there's already a, a, a split probably between the football schools and the maybe not so football schools. And, you know, and financially it's, it's there, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, Michigan State to an extent are kind of on one end and everybody else is on the other. And, 
if you get to that point, or if somebody, let's say, let's just add people and you add Iowa State and Kansas because it's convenient and easy, then do those schools say, you know what, we're we're dragging everybody else around here. We're kind of like what Texas and Oklahoma were into the Big 12. Ohio State, Penn State, we're the ones that are generating this revenue. And so then there's the, hey, SEC, we'll be glad to scoop you up and turn into us into uh, the ultimate super conference. So I don't think that's anything to worry about today, maybe not even for a decade, but I think it's something that the splintering a little bit last year, it, it's still there. And if you talk to some Big Ten administrators, and I have, who are just maybe not as all for one and one for all the way that they were even a couple of years ago. I would agree completely. And, I, you know, I do think hiring Barry Alvarez as a consultant mm-hmm. is a great first step toward mm-hmm. reunifying the conference. Because who knows that league and that personnel better than that guy right now, yeah. right? And he's not just looking out for Wisconsin. I think Gene Smith signing a contract extension uh, he probably was the most powerful voice in the Big Ten, as was you know, when Jim Delaney left. Um, but but getting him on the same page with, with everyone else is going to be very influential. You're seeing so this could work good or bad. How many athletic director changes have happened in that league in the last year? I mean, Wisconsin just changed one. Michigan State's going to change one. Nebraska just changed one. Um, th- there's a lot of change happening in a league that really didn't have a whole lot of change for a long time. Right. So that could be good. That could be bad, depending on the way things play out. It probably in the aftermath of last year, good, because I, I think, you know, the resentment and bitter feelings that were lingering will, will dissipate and they can all start from scratch again. But um, that's something worth keeping an eye on. And the one long-term thing that, that I'm just really curious about, and, and is it ultimately important? I think it is. Just one man's opinion. Uh, the future of the basketball term, the, the NCAA basketball tournament. I mean, yeah. if you are to... There's a very sound argument to be made that the 65 Power 5 schools do not need the NCAA right now. They have the the wherewithal and the capabilities to break off and do their own things and, and you know somewhat figure out the rest later as it relates yeah. to Olympic sports. The men's basketball tournament, it's, I hate to say it, the only reason the majority of America is watching college men's college basketball right now. Yeah. Um, and they're watching it. Not because they like seeing Iowa and Wisconsin play again. They're watching it because they like seeing Northern Iowa or a directional school or a 14 seed named Oral Roberts who they never heard of before and have to look up on a map, upsetting a three seed and winning them money in their office bracket pool. Right. That's all gone with March Madness. If you have a power only March Madness, right? I'm sure there's a way to include Gonzaga and Villanova and all the non-FBS football schools out there because they've obviously earned their earned their bacon on the basketball court, but the men's basketball tournament's the best part in some ways of college sports every year. It's a highlight. It's, it's a huge revenue driver for the NCAA, for the schools, you name it. And if it's 65 power five teams playing each other all over again, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's, it's also the regular season condensed to three weeks. (laughs) Um, I mean, I just think you're losing so much with that. And I don't know what that would be worth on the market either. Um, I, I don't know. And so, just as, as as a basketball fan, that's what worries me. Um, less so about who's playing what conference and more so about what happens to the highlight of really the sporting calendar every year. And that's the unfortunate part. And I covered basketball home and away for eight years, and I saw it up close. And the, the problem with the season in some ways is it's too long. And unfortunately, it's too irrelevant until the final month. And, mm-hmm. and that's not... 
you know, that includes kind of the last week or so of regular season play, the conference tournaments, and then, of course, the NCAA tournament. That's what everybody's glued towards. And I think the, the worst thing the NCAA could do is expand the tournament because then it, it limits the brackets. And that's mm-hmm. what really gets people involved. It's their office pools. It's the fact that 68 teams, but primarily 64, right. seem to work well for a bracket. If you're going to 96 or whatever, then it's it's too unwieldy and people like, I don't know, my wife who doesn't who don't watch the, the sport, but the next thing you know, they're like, well, I don't know all these teams. This is a lot of games. And, you know, and so then people get less interested. So I think it's it, it's got the perfect you know spot, but, you know, and so I think you're right that people tune in. They love the first weekend because it's, it's kind of at the tail end of winter in the North. So you can kind of, Everybody can kind of get excited about something different. And, you know, people around the office, there's lack of productivity, but a lot of, co- you know, uh, common ground and, and fun. And, and uh, but, you know, I, I do think that that's something that they have to be cognizant of, because if you if you remove that, then what? There's really nothing else. I mean, the I mean, wrestling tournament's God here, but nowhere else in America. I watched the NBA draft last week, and I, yeah. I'm a pretty, like, passionate follower there were a lot of names i did not recognize or did not remember because right. they were coming from the g league unite or they were one and dones on smaller teams i just didn't watch enough of it it's i mean that's a whole other podcast for another day right. but i mean the tournament piece as far as realignment goes the future is what i'm really concerned about yeah and uh you know a couple of things I, I just wanted to highlight on and then and then we'll uh shut it down for another day when more chaos erupts but <laughs> hopefully nothing's broke uh, in the time we recorded this podcast <laughs> yeah I, I talked to an administrator and not from the school I cover but um, there were a couple of things that kind of stood out to me and, and to, to this person in particular um, after Big Ten media days just because I, I wanted to see what did you guys think about Kevin Moore and what he said what he talked about and by and large the the feeling in their school was disappointment and a lot of the way the questions were answered, um, that that's that's for media day or for last year? Yeah, from media day. Oh wow, okay. Th- this year, and um, one of the things that they really pointed out that they were very very disappointed in was the conversation about moving the Big Ten title game away from Indianapolis because they thought Indianapolis A has been so good to the Big Ten. B that's where the media days are held, and they, they helped us out by getting us there. I, I, I heard I heard that a lot in the aftermath yeah, of that. <laughs> right. And, and uh, this is where the national championship is going to be held. So if do, right. if you're going to do anything, elevate Indianapolis' stature, not say, yeah, we're going to move around the Big Ten title game, and this is the, just the wrong wrong time and that, and that sort of stuff. So that was that was something that was really, uh, you know, difficult. There – you know, and a lot of it's gossip, so I don't know how much I want to get into because, you know, sure. it's, it's something that me and you could talk about over a beer. And I know we're <laughs> pissing people off by saying this, but but then there's, you know, I think what people, what this person said in particular was last year that they, that a kind of a group of four athletic directors, Alvarez, Jim Phillips, Gene Smith, and Sandy Barber, were kind of able to help move Kevin in the right direction where mm-hmm. they wanted the league's athletic directors wanted him to go after stepping out kind of on a limb and canceling football based on the presidents, not so much on what the ADs and certainly not the, the football programs wanted. And so there is some concern, you know, they're thankful that Barry's there helping him, you know, being his consigliere. Let's keep the Godfather references going, <laughs> uh, but not having Jim Phillips there who everybody had faith in. 
and really liked. So the hope is that, yeah, Gene, probably Sandy Barber, certainly Barry, can help continue to push him in the right direction. But there's, uh, you know, there's some uncertainty there. And I think with the Big Ten, in this very important part of its existence, um, it, it's, it remains to be seen what kind of moves they make, whether they make the right ones and he looks like a visionary like his predecessor or if they look like they're falling apart and maybe they need to start evaluating the future of the conference in, in a different way. Yeah, you know, I... I understand the the hard feelings. I understand those opinions, and they're they're you know pretty prevalent opinions throughout the league. Um, and even you know my sense talking to folks around the league was if Kevin Warren has one true regret about last year, it's that he wasn't able to develop those important relationships with some of the key individuals names mm-hmm. you had just mentioned, because those are the people you need in your corner when push comes to shove and when you need to make tough decisions. Um, that said, I mean. <laughs> The guy just got in there. Like, I'm not going to let him completely off the hook because he's a commissioner and this is what he gets paid the big bucks for. But, you know, he just got in there. There's a lot of turnover still happening within that office because he didn't even have enough time to really, you know, bet out and see who he wants to keep, who he doesn't want to keep, what can be worked on, what, could, what what's working, what isn't. Um, another conversation that me and you can have over beers, you know, some of the problems we've had dealing with that office uh, in recent years, I mean, that was all new to Kevin. I mean, he took over full-time in January of 2020, and the world shut down two months later in the middle of a Big Ten men's basketball tournament. So um, I've always wondered, you know, from afar, like how much of this is Kevin Warren um, acting out of out of school? How much of this is the president's doing everything, basically using him as cover? And the Washington Post had a great story about how they basically took all their emails to a private server so that there wasn't a paper trail to mm-hmm. some of those um, private discussions. But what, you know, what, what was Kevin Warren the punching bag for the presidents or was he the guy who made some very questionable decisions um, very quickly? Um, I don't know if we'll ever get a clear answer to that because I think everyone's opinions will differ depending on who you talk to. But there was definitely a sense of, hey, um, you know, you need to have Gene Smith in your quarter. You need to have Barry Alvarez in your quarter. Jim Phil, you know. All, all these guys in, in Sandy Barber's case, all these uh, you know athletic directors, all these girls, women who um, have so much influence and know the league so well, um, regardless of whether they're the ones making the decision, because they're not, as we saw everywhere, this was a presidential decision. Um, you need to at least have the clout to be able to make that decision and convey it to them and to the public in, in a manner that is at least explanatory because the PR aspect of this is where the Big Ten really botched mm-hmm. it last year. Right. I mean, the the Pac-12 does have as big of a profile, so they were never going to get the kind of flack that the Big Ten did. But the Pac-12 did release medical reports and had quotes from doctors and had conference or Zoom calls to mm-hmm. explain the science behind them. Where at least you know it made sense. Okay, like I'm not going to argue with you. You're a doctor. Like if you say it's not safe, it's probably not safe. Um, the Big Ten had Kevin Warren go on with I think Dave Revstein of the Big Ten yeah. Network very briefly and was never really heard from again until he said, by the way, we're still not going to reopen the decision until eventually they did. So there was a lot to be learned from last year, I think, from all sides. Uh, you know, as a, a neutral party and all this, I'm looking forward to hopefully putting this chapter behind and focus on what's going to happen with realignment and what's going to happen with Ohio State on the field this year and all that other fun stuff that we, we really missed talking about over the last year. But um, it, it does make for... Um, interesting kind of context and subtext to read into when future decisions, realignment or otherwise, are being made. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, last year was just, uh, 
you know, at this this very day in a couple of hours, uh, we, when we hit the 365 on it, um, that that was a really kind of a disastrous interview for for Kevin Warren. He did not explain himself well, and the league did not explain itself well. Um, I thought when they returned, they did a much better job, and they mm-hmm. made it fuller. And right. and you know, he had a very select group. We were a part of it. Uh, I think Nicole specifically was a part of it in in hearing some more rationale. But I think everybody wanted to know more because it's such a, an emotional decision that affects millions of people, not only from a uh, the players and athletes who are directly, but fans, uh, businesses, uh, media, of, what, of course. But I think everybody needed more rationale and, and we didn't quite get it. That said, I'm thrilled that in a little over two weeks in Champaign, Illinois, we're going to see Nebraska and Illinois. And I know you've talked to Brett. And I, I had a chance to talk to him in media days. Um, it's always good to have him back in the league. And so, you know, what, what, what is kind of your thought on just the approaching of that game? That's you, you wrote about Illinois and your priest in our state of the program series. And um, I, I love this matchup. I think it just is so rich in storylines. It's not just ho-hum, here's a game. It's this really could set the tone for the season for two programs and perhaps the whole entire division. Yeah, you know, it's, I talked to him right after you did. He sang the seventh inning stretch at Wrigley Field uh, that Sunday after Big Ten Media Days. And, uh, you know, they had the Brick House Bar across the street from Wrigley Field had right. kind of this Illini gathering. And the, the fans were more excited to see the men's basketball players who had won the <laughs> the Big Ten uh, men's basketball championship earlier. And they were throwing out the first pitch. But I was able to catch up with Brett Bielman. And, yep. As you said, you're excited to have him back in the division. Like, no one, like, the guy just kind of, like, bleeds Big Ten West, right? Like, yeah. reeks of Big Ten West. I mean, <laughs> when you look at, like, that division and how you win and where you win, the guy played at Iowa. He coached at Wisconsin, went to three straight Rose Bowls there. He's from the state of Illinois and now is back coaching uh, the flagship program of his home state after getting some NFL experience and after working for Bill Belichick in the NFL as well. So, um the guy has a plan. Um, you know, I was a little, I wouldn't say lukewarm on the hire, but, I, you know, if he gets hired, I'm thinking, oh, kind of forgot about that guy. And the last time I saw him in the SEC, it didn't really end so great for him. Let me, you know, the jury's still out. And obviously the jury will be out until they play games and have a record to show for it. But as far as first impressions and off seasons go, it's hard to do much better than he's done so far. Um, his staff hires, I think, have been tremendous. His recruiting plan has been tremendous. There's never really been one of those, at least in state, um, in the last decade for Illinois. Um, and when you look at Illinois, you know, I talked to local series. Oh, you know, state of Illinois high school football is not that good. It's not Florida. It's not Texas. Why do we have such high expectations? It's like, well, one, I don't think you have high expectations. Start with going 500 every year, which I think is very reasonable and doable. Two, um, look at Iowa. Look at Wisconsin. Look at Minnesota. Look at Indiana. With all due respect to all those states, I know you live in one of them. I think the state of Illinois produces more and better high school football players every year than all of those do. And all of those programs have done pretty well for themselves by relying, for the most part, on homegrown talent. And the out-of-state pro- talent that they're getting, more often than not, is coming from Illinois. I mean, if you look at some of the best players, best Illinois players on each of those regional schools, you could throw Notre Dame in there as well. If you put them all under one roof, I think you have a big, at the very least, a Big Ten West contender every year. 
And even Brett Bielema has said, look, you're not going to put a fence around the state. We all like to talk about that. That's just not realistic in 2021. But if we could get like half of those guys, a good majority of those guys to get invested in our place, to grow up on our place, to want to come to our place, that's going to pay dividends. And he has done a tremendous job of not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. I mean, I did a story after visiting there in the spring on uh, his recruiting department, which is largely local based. You have... Pat Ryan, a former Illinois high school coach whose title is simply director of Illinois high school relations. Um, you're having camps and clinics on campus that um, you know are, are local only. They're reaching out to all these local high school coaches who really never heard from Lovey Smith, really never heard from Tim Beckman, um, and are thrilled to because it's a really good school academically. I mean, so many kids from Chicago and beyond end up going there every year because it's a great school and it's a state school. Um, but but they're just creating interest. I mean, there's, with all due respect to Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern, they're a private school. There's no reason, like, they should be Chicago's Big Ten team when you look at the makeup of that roster, when they're recruiting nationally. And yet, because Pat Fitzgerald has such a strong Chicago presence, such a strong Illinois presence, you know, even the kids who can't get in there or are not getting recruited to, to Northwestern, develop an affinity and affection for that place coming out of high school because they just feel so drawn to him. And look, I don't know if you get more different in personality than Pat Fitzgerald and Brett Bielema, but there is that aspect to Brett Bielema when he walks into a room. He can command a room. He can make you feel at home. He can make you believe that you're going to come to the University of Illinois and play strong football in a manner that really hasn't been done in at least a decade here. So, um, you know, they took a kid, Kanena Edeluga, um, from Mount Carmel, which is recently been the best program in the state. I mean, they won the state title the last full season in 2019, coached by former Heisman uh, finalist Jordan Lynch. And look, Odalugo is a guy who was going to go to Penn, the Ivy League. He was recruited as an athlete. He played mostly linebacker. Is he a big-time football player? I think that remains to be seen. I think there's a reasonable debate to be had, and time will tell whether he'll be a difference maker for Illinois. But he's the example of the perfect type of kid that you need to take a chance on if you're a local flagship program. Because guess what's going to happen next time uh, Mount Carmel has a guy get a number of offers or, or next time uh, Brett Bielema or someone on staff wants to pick up the phone and call Jordan Lynch. They're going to listen because yeah. Illinois took a chance on a kid who did everything right on the field, everything right off the field, may not have the measurables that a traditional Big Ten linebacker has, but definitely has the potential to make a difference down the road if everything clicks for him. It, 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 Little things like that. There's so many examples of it. We could go on and on. Just yeah. were never a part of the Illinois formula, never a part of the Illinois plan. And I, I think the combination of that, in addition with all the super seniors coming back, you have an old team. You have a team that, um, you know, a lot of these guys did go to a bowl game two years ago and are now probably going to be better coached, um, have played together longer, are, are obviously more excited. Like they would have opted back in or come back to Illinois if they didn't have faith in Brett Bielema's vision. And you have the fascinating dichotomy of this is the first FBS game of the year at noon on week zero between two Big Ten West rivals. Illinois, which fired its coach, beat Nebraska 41-23 to last year on the road. And Nebraska has all this pressure uh, to win this year. They have a new athletic director. They've in some ways become a laughingstock for some of the asinine comments that Scott Frost and exiting AD Bill Moose have said, whether uh, publicly or privately, you know, trying to get out of the Oklahoma game, being chief among them. And, and here's, <laughs> I hate to come off as like a Nebraska troll here, but uh, this tweet has been making the rounds. I'd be remiss not to share it in light of <laughs> what's happening um, 
or, or what this game is if Illinois were to win it. On December 5th, 2014, Harvard, Harvey Perlman, who was a Nebraska chancellor at the time, this would have been right after he fired uh, Bo Pelini and right mm-hmm. before he hired Mike Riley, said, to all, I quote, to all you doubters, you don't hire a coach, parentheses, Bielema, who just moved a year ago. If he came, could you be confident he'd stay? YOLO, end quote. That's the Nebraska chancellor mm-hmm. uh, seven years ago saying YOLO in a tweet and criticizing a guy by name, Brett Bielema, who his former school is now going to play in an opener in a game that I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, I think you know the, the odds makers, I think it made Nebraska a favorite. I get it. They've recruited better. They have the brand name. But they didn't look better last time these two took the field together. And there's going to be a lot of energy, a lot of momentum, and a great environment, I think, in Memorial Stadium on August 28th to see a new coach in the first packed Big Ten house we've had in almost two years now. And let's just say I would not want to be on that flight back to Lincoln if we lose that game, if I'm Nebraska. That is going to be a miserable flight and probably portend a miserable season. And unfortunately, they've had way too many of those in Lincoln recently. Yeah, and it could be really hot too. I can imagine what the <laughs> what the field conditions are like there. And usually, I, I go there in, in November, and there's 50 mile an hour winds, and it's 30 degrees, and it feels like you're in the the South Pole. So now you feel like you're on the equator. Um, no, it, I, I'm excited for it for all those reasons you mentioned and more. Brett Bielema, I think you know the school I cover. They they regard Chicago as part of their territory. I mm. mean, it's closer to Iowa City, it's three and a half hours to the western suburbs, and that's way closer than western Iowa is. And they know that that's where they need to recruit. And a lot of their players, right around 20% of their players are from the state of Illinois. So they know that they're going to have to fight for them. Michigan State also fights in the mm-hmm. Chicagoland, or certainly did with D'Antonio. Uh, Wisconsin's only two hours north of the Chicagoland area. Same thing with Purdue and on the other end. And, and uh, so Chicago is a very important part of it. Illinois is the only true flagship public institution. Even in the state I cover, there's two public institutions mm-hmm. to, to deal with. So it's it's important. Brett gets it. And the one thing I'll say about the Big Ten West is, other than the other division, this is a developmental division. You can mm-hmm. be very competitive, but you have to develop your players. And that's maybe what Nebraska has lacked and what Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Iowa have going for it. And Brett understands that. Minnesota does the same thing. If you can develop your players in this division, you can be very competitive. And if you do it at a high level, you can beat most of the other teams in the league. Uh, so I, I think he understands that. It, I think I don't know if Illinois will be a championship-caliber team in three years, but they're going to be the type of team that everybody's – you're not going to mark down a W mm-hmm. and move on and, oh, we'll hold this guy out. You know, it's just Illinois. There's not going to be that case. You're going to have to slug it out with them for, for four quarters, and you might win, you know, but it's it's going to be a tough game. So No, I with, mean, that's, that's – oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't want Oh, yeah, to, go ahead. No, I was just going to echo what you said. I mean, you know, I remember P.J. Fleck in his first year at Minnesota – uh, got asked why he keeps losing. Why Minnesota has so many straight losses to both Iowa and Wisconsin, and he said, "Look at Iowa. They've had two coaches over the last what forty years. Look at Wisconsin. You know Barry Alvarez is the AD now, but they've had that same Barry Alvarez identity that Paul Chris is carrying out now, and Brett Bielema before him did um, for for thirty years. And at Minnesota at the time, PJ Fleck I think was their sixth coach in twelve years. Um, Goes back to your point of development, of developmental division, developmental teams and programs. Northwestern, another great example of that is Pat Fitzgerald enters his 16th year as a full-time head coach there. Um, Nebraska, what's their identity? I don't know. Purdue, 
I still don't know. They look good the first two years when they were out scheming everyone and catching people off guard, but I don't know what they're going to be. They're on their third defensive coordinator in, in three years. Um, Illinois, uh, they did not really have one, but they at least now have the pieces in place to develop one over the next couple of years with Brett Bielema there, and I think that's what makes them yeah, probably not a threat to win the division anytime soon, but we've seen this division. I mean, more often than not, there's a pecking order, right? There's Wisconsin, there's Iowa, and there's everyone else. And if those two teams have a little bit of a down year in that middle of the pack, someone from that middle of the pack can rise up, maybe they can steal the division. I'm not, I mean, Northwestern's won two of the last three years. Minnesota damn near won it a year ago uh, in 2019. Um, and, it, you know, they're very much, for, for all the flashiness and youthfulness of P.J. Fleck, he's from the Greg Schiano and Jim Tressel coaching tree. He's very much a conservative ground and pound, meat and potatoes kind of, X's and O's football coach. Um, I think Illinois at least gets themselves in that mid-tier, middle-of-pack conversation when you have a style and an authority like Brett Bielema. And in a good year when everything breaks right for you, maybe you can win nine or ten games and threaten it against Indianapolis. Yeah. And we've seen it before when uh, Ron Zook was there in 2007 Mm -hmm. or Ron Turner in 2001. I mean, those are ancient history in in a lot of cases now. But it has been done. They've got the potential. They've got a lot of – uh, you know, recruits in the state, Brett can, Brett's proven he can do it. So now it's just a matter of doing it. So with that, we'll, uh, we'll kind of end our conversation here. Otherwise we're going to have to start cracking open uh, some hams and schlitz and, and uh, start chatting away about some <laughs> nothing stuff stopping us from us... doing that right now, Scott. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Get us in trouble probably. But uh, as always, we wanted to thank you, our legends and listeners for spending some time with us today and adding us to your podcasting rotation Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite top prospects. So for Matt Fortuna, this is Scott Docterman, and we will talk to you guys soon.